Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey, we are wrapping up our series called The Gift, and man, this has been something so, so uh, exciting on my heart. This has been a really refreshing season. If you've missed the last couple of weeks, you can check out uh, the message we've been walking through, kind of the Christmas story, and, and if, just if it has meaning for us on a practical level over the last couple of weeks, you can catch it on our YouTube pod, uh, podcast, all those things, and uh, um, just kind of get caught up on uh, the, the series that we've been in. But first, I want to celebrate. We've been in this series, or I'm sorry, this campaign called the Here for Good campaign, and this is a, a vision and an effort toward permanence here in Boulder. And so City Church is a little over two and a half years old, been wor- just watching God do amazing things in and through the last couple of years. COVID was a weird and hard year. Uh, it's still a little weird and hard, but it's less weird and hard than it was. And so we have the privilege of, of putting our hands toward trying to own the property that we are meeting in currently, as well as just a general permanence in our city. And so the, the first effort was to raise a million dollars toward this effort. And as of today, we've raised over $400,000 toward this initiative. So put your hands together for God's crazy, crazy faithfulness and your generosity. And by the way, Maddie said it earlier, we're committed to this. One of our values is radical generosity because we think Jesus is a radically generous God and King. And so we consistently put our money where our mouth is. And so part of this campaign was every dollar that came in from our church between the time we started this campaign and the end of December, we're going to give 10% away to the West and the world. And so we have a vision not just to be a church in and for the city, but to be a church for Boulder, the West, and the world. And so we have church plants in Denver and, and the Denver metro area. We have feeding centers and churches in the Philippines. We're about to take on a new church plant and feeding center and uh, um, sex trafficking, anti-sex trafficking movement, I suppose is what it's going to be in Thailand. Uh, We've got stuff happening in India. And so we're going to take 10% of everything that's coming in between now and the end of the year and give that away to those initiatives. And so I just want to celebrate your radical generosity for that. Put your hands together one more time. And then that hopefully serves as a reminder, if you have already committed to the Here for Good campaign and you, you committed a, an amount that you were giving pri- like t- uh, uh, at the end of the year and then what you're giving next year, just a reminder to get that in. My family and I, we, we wrote our check and sent it in uh, um, earlier this month. And so just a reminder that those have to be in in order for us to give that 10% away. Uh, lastly, if you're new to this, uh, um, you're by no means obligated to it, but it's not too late to be a part of it. There are booklets in the seatbacks in front of you. If you're joining us online, there's an entire landing page on our website dedicated to to this conversation, and so you can pick that up, check it out, see what God's doing through that. That's all I got. I just want to celebrate your incredible generosity. Let's go home. I'm just kidding. Let's, let's, let's dig in. I'm so pumped. All right, so we've been digging into Matthew chapter 2. I'll throw it up on the screen for you, and this has been the, the manger scene. So I don't know about you guys, if you've had, you know, a little manger in your yard, or if you have a picture in your mind of little baby Jesus, and Mary and Joseph, and some farm animals, and then, you know, three wise men, but we've been looking at this picture, and, and what it actually means for you and I. So here's Matthew 2. Uh, we see the wise men uh, following this star. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You can catch more about that in week one. And then, and going into the house, when they, when they saw the child Jesus with his, uh, uh, his mother Mary, they fell down and they worshiped 
Jesus, and then opening their treasures, they offered Jesus gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we've been talking about, over the last three weeks, these three gifts that the wise men give. And, and the, the, the symbolism, not, not only are they valuable gifts, a little unusual maybe to you and I, but they're also incredibly prophetic. They, they carry a ton of symbolism of who Jesus would, would ultimately be and do for us. And so we've talked about the other two, now we're talking about gold. Dollar bills, y'all. You guys with me? Like, we're talking about gold. And, and, and this represents Jesus and his kingship. So in order to kick off our time together, I just wanted to play a little game. There's only a few of us in the room online. You can use the chat. But I want to play a little game called Name That King. You guys with me? Listen, this, this is like class participation, okay? If you don't do this, it's going to be really, really weird, okay? I worked hard on these, and so I want you to have some fun with me. We're going to play a game in order to talk about our, our, our conversation today. This has no spiritual value whatsoever. This is just because I want to lighten the mood. Name that king. You guys ready? I'm going to give you a prompt, and you're going to name that king. You ready? So when you hear slimy yet satisfying, what do you think? Anybody? King. Lion King, come on. I wish I had, like, something to throw at you, like, that would be beneficial and not... <laughs> Let's just random. You need like prizes. All right, all right. When you think, name that king. Yes, participation. Okay. When you think, giant monkey. King Kong. All right. I got one participant in the front row, guys. Come on, somebody help me out. Yeah, yeah. Just be loud. Shout it out. When you think, fast food. You think. Oh, come on. That's awesome. When you think, scary novels and movies. You think. Stephen King, good job. That one was hard for me. When you think basketball, you think King James. Come on. Even if you don't like King James, you got to think about it. When you think Kanye West, you think, oh, come on. That one is a stretch, but it, got, it gets me where I'm going. Jesus is King because he came out with an album. If you don't know, you just got to go look it up. Okay, that was kind of fun. It was, it was less exciting, but it, was, it, was, it got us there, so I'll take it. Uh, you guys did good. Okay, so um, I want you to think about your own just kind of life for a moment. Um, think about the day after Christmas. You guys have any like day after Christmas, Christmas traditions? Like when do, when do lights come down? When do decorations come down? Like, you know, do you keep it up through January or is it like the 26th? Bam, we're back to normal. Right, I want you to think about the original day after Christmas, okay? Luke chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to kind of imagine what's going on. In those days, this is kind of going backwards in the Christmas story we've been looking at. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The Roman Empire is doing a census, making everyone go back to their hometowns or, or registering in their hometowns so they can get a count and an accurate understanding of, of what they should be charging in taxes, okay? So imagine just, you know, the day after Christmas, you know, you hopefully you have some traditions and it's a lot of joy, but imagine it's just tax season for you, okay? The original, like, leading up to day after Christmas, everyone just kind of wanted that season to be over. The original day after Christmas was no, really no Christmas at all. For you and I, we have a lot of things kind of ingrained in our lives and our culture, but there was no Christmas that really for, for, for the people originally in the story, but really it was just chaos. It was just chaos for them. And so for Mary and Joseph, um, they, they unfortunately didn't live in their hometown. So if you lived in your hometown, it wasn't a big deal. You just go register and do the thing. And, but if you lived far away, it made it a really big challenge because not only was it expensive, but it was incredibly dangerous to travel. And so you, you probably are familiar with the story. Mary and Joseph, they travel. She's super pregnant, and, and they got to make this long journey back to their hometown to register. And this is kind of what's going on in the Christmas season for them. Not a lot of joy, just a bunch of chaos. And in the middle of all of this, John pins these words, Jesus' best and closest friend on the planet when he was alive. John 1.14, John says this. 
in the middle of the chaos. You guys got that for me? John 1.14. The world, I'm sorry, the word, so this is John speaking of Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And John said, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John tells us that in the middle of the chaos of this season, in the middle of all of the craziness, a king is being secreted into the world. That God was becoming flesh in the middle of this chaos. And and the reality is in this moment, and and for the Christmas story, this is important for you and I, a king had been born. A king had been born, and, and I need you to understand this, because this is something I think we lose out on, especially in our Western kind of democratic, individualist society. Like, Jesus wasn't, he didn't just come as a religious figure, but he came as a king. We looked at a couple of weeks at, at the holistic picture of Jesus, and again, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, where you're walking in, if you're kind of like skeptical of faith, or, you know, not sure what you believe about Jesus and the church and all these pieces, but it's important that we have a whole picture of who Jesus is if we're going to consider what it means to follow him, and he's not just, you know, a really good guy. He's not just baby Jesus, meek and mild. He shows up, not just as a religious figure, but a king, and not just any kind of king. He shows up as a different kind of king, a king that would turn everything upside down, a king who would lay down his life for his subjects instead instead of requiring his subjects to lay down their lives for them. This is a king like the world had never seen, a king who would call his followers and his subjects not only to, to invite them to follow him, but he would call them to lay down their lives for one another like he had done for them. And if it's so required, he would say, even to lay down your life for your enemies. He's not a king like anyone had ever seen. Again, because he wasn't just a religious figure. He did, Jesus didn't come just as a savior, but he came as a king. But this kingship, this, this lordship, this right to rule ship that, that Jesus carries, this, you know, if, if you think in modern terms, like Jesus as the CEO of our lives, right? Like when we think in these terms, it's kind of lost on us. Because for most of us, even if you're just relatively familiar with Jesus and the Jesus story and Christmas and all of that, Jesus has been reduced sometimes, I think, to like a phone a friend. Like, hey, Jesus, kind of an emergency, right? A a, a backup plan, right? In case of emergency break, out prayer, (laughs) right? Like, like this is is not good. I I need some help. Or Jesus kind of serves as a, a conscience reliever, uh, that, that you know, you, you and I know that we struggle at times and we have some stuff in our lives that kind of gets heavy and so we can go to Jesus and kind of patch up our, our, our feelings of how, how good we feel about ourselves or, 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 you know, Jesus can be reduced sometimes to a comforter, which again is not, not that he's not a comforter, but he's just, just that. Or even worse, maybe, is that Jesus kind of gets reduced to an obligation for some. Um, it's just this kind of respect where it's due, but it's very relative and it's very traditional and doesn't actually bury any meaning or weight on our lives. And so I, I think Jesus' kingship, it gets lost on us um, for, for a lot of reasons. We're going to talk about that today. But I need you to understand that I, I don't think it was lost on his mother, Mary. Let me show you Luke chapter 1, verse 30. So, so kind of again, we're just kind of playing the, the, the story backwards and forwards together. So Luke 1, in verse 30, the angel shows up and, and says to Mary, don't be afraid. Because you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, 
Old Testament or Hebrew name Joshua literally means leader. And so already the, the, this, this son to be born of a virgin is, is carrying some kind of leadership, but if that's not clear what kind of role he's gonna play, watch what the angel goes on and says in verse 32. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. This is royal language. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. It's a clear, kind of getting to this like kingship language here. And just to make sure it's not missed, the angel kind of lands it with verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. So for Jesus, it's not that he would just be a king, but for Jesus, Jesus is still a king king. And for Jesus' followers, the challenge, I mean, this, this is what the angel was communicating to Mary. This is the weight I think she was kind of picturing is, is who Jesus would be. But if you're a Jesus follower in the room, and by the way, if you're not a Jesus follower, you should at least consider what this means for people who claim to be Jesus followers, because I think, I think sometimes the disconnect is, like, we, 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 we see Jesus followers who, who live disconnected lives spiritually. They say they believe one thing, their heads believe one thing, and their lives communicate another, and so then with that disconnect, we don't know what to do. But I think based on Jesus still being a king today, that as Jesus followers, you and I have to wake up every day and ask the question, is, is Jesus my king? Not just a figure, not just somewhere out there, but is Jesus my king? And I've got to evaluate my life and my time and my money and my priorities and my relationships and everything about my life and ask, is Jesus my king? Or, you know, am I, am I kind of just embracing, a, you know, a path in front of me, the culture around me, the tr- traditions that I've seen set before me? Right? I, I've been thinking about it. Like, who, who or what sits on the throne of my heart? Right? Do, do I follow and submit to King Jesus or do I expect him to submit to me and my will? My understanding, my preferences, my agenda. Is Jesus, you know, more of a, a genie <laughs> than, than, than my king? Is, is he maybe just, is he more than a conscience reliever for me? Is, is he more than someone I call in case of emergencies? Have I reduced him to an icon? Is he just, you know, something I wear around my neck or a tattoo that I have somewhere on, on my forearms? Is he, is he more than that? And, and what's interesting about King Jesus, and this is really important if you're not a follower of Jesus, but it's important for you and I to wrestle with, is Jesus is a really unique king because he's a king that allows us to decide. Right? In, in this age and time, kings came in with force. It was, it was might made right. But Jesus comes in with this upside-down kingdom, and he allows us to decide our relationship to him. He invites us. In fact, he rarely intrudes and, and this is where it gets mixed is sometimes you felt religion and you felt uh, the church you kind of been shoved down your throat and it kind of feels pushy, but I want you to know that's not from Jesus. Now, while he is king and there is a day coming when there's no longer a choice to be made, as it stands right now because of God's love and patience toward us, we have a choice. And he invites us to follow him. He rarely intrudes. And, and, and here's what I want to wrestle with today is when you and I choose not to follow when we choose not to participate in his kingdom on earth as reflected in heaven? What, what happens when we choose not to follow? When we opt out, I think, when we opt out of his kingdom and following him, I think we begin to miss out. I think faith begins to get reduced to doctrine, something in our heads that doesn't start to affect our hearts and our hands, something that we believe that carries little influence on how we live. 
And what happens? What happens when you and I, especially Jesus followers in the room, what happens when you and I get into this space of opting out of Jesus and participating in his kingdom? I believe that's in the space that heaven no longer meets earth like Jesus taught us to pray. That you and I might be able to say our prayers, we might be able to have a little bit of confidence and like, you know, we've been forgiven because of faith in Jesus, but there is something that we miss out on when we choose not to participate in his kingdom today. There's something that the world misses out on when you and I choose not to follow. So we're gonna talk about that today. Matthew chapter two, let me show you this. Because you and I are not the only ones wrestling with Jesus as king. Now this might be a familiar story, but, but I'm gonna help you understand the implications for what was going on. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, known as Herod the Great. Unless you studied a lot of history, you don't know much about Herod outside of maybe this picture, but I'm gonna give it to you. Uh, again, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So pause for just a second. Okay, this is that story. We've kind of been on the, on the back end of the wise men and what they're doing, but on the front end, we have Herod, and he was called Herod the Great because he really was great. He was an incredible military giant. I mean, he was a, a, a general. He was brilliant. He was ruthless. I mean, I mean, he was an incredible leader for his day, and he was committed, sold out to preserving his legacy and his dynasty, specifically through his kids. Oh, so, okay, so Herod's the ruler of this time, and we're going to fast forward in this story, and you're going to catch up on what's going on. But he calls in. Check this out. Uh, 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 the, the wise men show up, and this is unique. They say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod, uh, when Herod the king heard about this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. You guys heard the phrase, when mama ain't happy, nobody happy, <laughs> right? Like for Herod, this was a threat to his empire. This was a threat to his rulership, his kingship, for another king to be born in this moment. And by, by the way, right, it's unique. They haven't heard, they don't know what's going on. The wise men show up and they expect everybody to be so excited and, and people are like, what are you talking about? A king being born. No one has any idea what they're talking about because a king had been secreted into the world at this point. And then Herod hears about it and he knows in his mind this is a threat. Because every time there's a king that shows up, people have to choose. And, and again, it'd be different, right? If they say, hey, where, where's the teacher that's been born? Where's this new rabbi that's been born? Where's this new prophet that's been born? Where's this new religious figure, right? If Jesus was just those things and everybody, they didn't care. Worship who you want. Do, do what you want. But if he's a king, it changes everything. He goes on, verse 4. And he assembles all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them. This is, this is interesting. Not where, where is the king? He uses a word that they did not use. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea. So he brings everyone together, right? The rumors are starting to spread. Hey, there's this new king in town. They don't really know what's going on, Sm stars and all this stuff. And so, hey, bring in the smart dudes, right? All right, all you smart, smart guys, tell me. tell me. Tell me what you know. And in Hebrew, this word Christ is from the Hebrew word Messiah. Right? We have all these Christmas songs, all this Christmas, we, we use all these words all the time, and we don't even think about what they mean. He says, where's the Messiah, the, the Christ? And the reason he uses this word is because Herod knows that this word means God's final king. He, he knows that connected in here somewhere is a prophecy that's been looked forward to. And, and I need you to understand, I don't, I don't know what you've heard, what you've been exposed to, but when we think of Jesus the Christ, 
It's, it's more than a nickname. It's more than a last name. It's more than a cuss word. You know what I mean? It's more than like something you say when you stub your toe. It's actually not a, a name at all, but it's a title. Jesus the Christ. And, and one of the reasons that Western Christianity struggles with this conversation is that we've allowed the person to define the term. When you, when you hear Christ, Christmas time, all that stuff, right? Some people talk like this, and it kind of gets confusing. I, r- I rarely use the word Christ in my own conversations because, because people don't know what it means. But you and I think we've allowed the person to define the term. Think about it. Christ. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. You're talking about Jesus. That's where our mind goes, doesn't it? Christ. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. The challenge for you and I is, is we've allowed the person to define the term rather than allowing the term to define the person. Christ was Jesus' title, not his last name. And with that title came a very clear implication in his day, and it's lost on us. And so it's Jesus Christ. Jesus, God's anointed one, is literally what that would have been transliterated as. Or Jesus, King. Jesus, King. And it carried with it this incredible weight and authority that, that Jesus, appointed by God to establish a kingdom not of this world. Get this, listen. To establish a kingdom not of this world, but for this world. And in this world. And others' first kingdom like the world had never seen. And Herod was threatened. Because when a king is born, people must choose. And the people are threatened because it might mean civil unrest or maybe even civil war. And check this out in Matthew chapter 2, verse 7. So Herod summons the wise men secretly to ascertain from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, hey, go, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too might come and worship him. And if you fast forward in this story, what you come to find out is, is Herod has a trick up his sleeve because he's not the kind of leader to sit by and see what happens. He's controlling his life. He is absolutely making sure that he stays in, in, in kingship and lordship over his life and his dynasty and his rule. And so later, he would use this information to find out when the Christ this, this baby king was born and then he would send his armies into the cities and execute every male child born of that age and down. He, he would use this information to make sure that there was no competition for who gets to rule his life. It's tragic. And, and, and it's so hard to imagine the brutality in his heart, in his space. But just to make sure, not just to find the one baby king, but he's just going to kill all the little baby boys in order to protect his own kingship. And, and this leads me to begin to reflect on, we're, and we're going to land the plan here in a second, but as, I, I want you to think about it for a sec, okay? There are three different responses that I've seen that I kind of come to the conclusion of. Three different responses to Jesus as king that we see in the Christmas story. The first one is Herod's response. Herod, Herod actively opposes Jesus 
as king. And I just want you to evaluate, right? I don't know where you're walking in, where you are on your spiritual journey, what you believe about Jesus, and where, you know, how your life is working out, if you've been following Jesus for a minute. But the first response to Jesus as king is Herod opposed Jesus. He was, he was not about to bow his life and his heart and his mind and his finances and his rulership to another king. He was not about to surrender his will and his way to someone else. And for some of us culturally, this is what this looks like. I, I, don't, I don't need Jesus. I don't need his church. I don't need all that, all that God stuff. I'm fine. I'm doing life my way and, and absolutely do not show up and try to tell me how to live my life and do with it what, what you think is best. Don't, don't let some outdated book in some stupid church tell me how to live my life. And there's a very, very big push in our culture towards that kind of mindset, which is, which is understandable for a lot of different reasons. And so I wouldn't be quick to throw rocks to opposition for what it's worth, because a lot of times we land in those spaces uh, because of some things around us and things that have happened to us and a lack of, of, of clarity and communication. But Herod was, was opposed. But you know what's interesting is the religious leaders, they, they weren't immediately opposed to Jesus, but they actually tried to control Jesus as king. They eventually became opposed to him when they didn't get their way. But on the front end, they tried to control Jesus as king because they were actually anticipating a king. They were anticipating him. I mean, they, they were looking forward to some help, a savior. But Jesus didn't fit any of their expectations. Jesus didn't do anything the way that they thought he should do it. Jesus was asking from them things that they didn't want to give. And so while Jesus was a good idea, they wanted to control him and make sure that their agenda was accomplished through him. And the last response we see is the wise men. What did they do? They, they bowed to Jesus as king. Ultimately, we're going to see this in the other Jesus followers, too, that as he begins to gather these disciples, these followers of Jesus, they're ultimately bowing their lives. And, and again, bowing, this is an external posture of an internal disposition. This is a picture of my heart to Jesus, that, that my heart and my mind and my life is bowed to Jesus as king. And this is the appropriate response when we truly come to understand who he is, what he's done, that he's a king like no other, He's not forcing us in this space to our knees, but he's inviting us because his kingship is way better than my leadership over my own life. That, that I get to a place in my own heart and mind that it's not about my desires and my throne and my will and my plan and my dreams, but it is Jesus, your will and your way. And so I just want to invite you as we, as we kind of reflect on the Christmas story, what's your response? I've been, I've been sitting with it heavily in my own heart. Because some of us, man, there was a, a long season in my life where my, my response was opposition. I don't, I don't need Jesus. You know, yeah, that thing is good for some people. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's some good ethics and maybe some good morality. But me and God are good. Yeah, yeah, I did that stuff when I was a kid, but I don't need that. Some of us, we, we want to control Jesus. And I think this is a unique space for all of us, because even as we move maybe away from opposition and into like, what if Jesus? Control is an issue, and it is for me. Yeah, Jesus, I'm in. I'll follow you. As long as you agree with my preferences. As long as you submit to my dreams. As long as you help me when I need help. As long as you stay out of my way when I don't need you. As long as you keep your opinions to yourself. Yeah, Jesus, I'm in. As long as I don't have to feel bad about anything that I'm doing, as long as you don't ask anything hard from me, as long as you answer every prayer I put in front of you, 
As long as you don't let bad things happen, yeah, Jesus, I'm in. As long as I get to do me, I'll follow you. And there's this desire to believe in Jesus without submission to him. And the last question, or is he king? And some of you, you're followers of Jesus, and Jesus is king over your life, but if you're like me, it's like every day having to choose to wake up and let Jesus sit back on the throne of my life and my heart. It's like, you know, we start to half-cheek it together, you know? I'm like, hey, Jesus, scoot over a little bit. I'm gonna, you know? And, and, and I give Jesus the space. Jesus, I, I bow my, my head and my heart and my hands to you. Jesus, you're my king. Jesus, I bow my finances to you. I bow my body to you. I bow my eyes to you. I bow my mind to you. I bow my relationships to you. I bow my career to you. I bow my sexuality to you. I I bow my dreams and my ambitions to you. Jesus, are you king over my mouth and my thoughts and my attitude? Jesus is either king or he's not. He He can't just be savior. And so a king was born. But the question for you and I is, is he my king? Is he your king? Have you accepted his invitation not to simply believe in Jesus, but to follow Jesus? Guys, because listen, in this king, heaven met earth. Not like Jesus didn't come just so we can go to heaven when we die, but we, so we can experience the upside down kingdom and its values intersecting earth in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces. Jesus shows up and he says, follow me. I am more than a sin forgiver. I am more than your help in trouble. This is an invitation not to just believe, but to participate in, in my kingdom, in my family, in my mission. I want you to imagine, imagine that it's in your home as it is in heaven. Imagine what it would look like to be in your workplace as it is in heaven, on your street as it is in heaven. And again, I don't know what you picture when you think about heaven, but but heaven is, is where King Jesus gets his way. And it's good for us, and it's good for others, and it brings glory to God. Imagine that it would be in Boulder as it is in heaven that the kingdom values of our king are lived out in such a way through this community that the world around us benefits. I want you to imagine that we continue to build a church for people who don't go to church. I want you to imagine a city that could still be skeptical of our beliefs, but they are blown away by our love. They're drawn by our love, that there's not a disconnect, but there's overwhelming evidence of something different. What did Jesus say? Matthew 13. Let me show you this in verse 44. We'll end our time this way. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has to buy that field. He says, when you really understand what Jesus came to do and what Jesus came to bring, He says, there's this picture. Imagine what it's like. This guy comes across immeasurable treasure. And he goes back and he sells everything he has. Can you imagine the hate? Can you imagine the skeptics? Can you imagine 
the sarcasm? You're selling everything for that empty feel? You're abandoning everything you have for that? And what they don't see is what he sees. He found something worth losing everything for. That the kingdom of heaven is always a bargain. <laughs> we, we never trade down. We always trade up. And I want you to imagine this invitation, not only to life with Jesus and life in relationship with God and life in community, but a kingdom coming to earth. That's the invitation from Jesus. Jeff Christofferson says it this way. He says, the kingdom of God is beautiful. And those who lead in this life of divine abandonment discover a priceless treasure that fashions deep attraction to the hearts of those that are tired of religious pursuits. With absolute joy, we can lay down all that we have to join in God's activity. In Jesus, we find something worth losing everything for. And so here's what we're going to do. In just a second, Daniel's going to uh, lead us in a song that I think captures the heart of this message today. It's a song called How Many Kings? And I'm going to invite you to stay seated. I'm going to invite you to reflect in your own heart and mind. I'm going to invite you to just take some time and reflect and respond. What's my response to Jesus as king? Have I been opposing him? Have I been trying to control him? Or am I bowing my heart and my life and my mind to him? And as we sing this song, you're going to have some time to reflect, and then afterward we're going to take communion and continue to sing. But right now, I just want to pray for us as we go into the song. You just sit and you just soak this in, okay? Let me pray for you. God, thanks so much for your love for us. Thanks for the invitation to be a part of your, your kingdom. Help us to follow you as king in every area of our lives, our money, our future, our career, our relationships, our entertainment, our friends, our time, everything, our entire lives. Would we bow them to you because you're trustworthy and good and loving, that you're a king who shows up and gives his life in our place rather than asking our lives. What a king you are. And God, right now I pray for any of my friends in the room who maybe have been exposed to Jesus as Savior, been exposed to Jesus as a good teacher, but have never got to the place in their own hearts and minds where they have bowed their hearts and minds to you, Jesus as King. God, would they hear the invitation clearly today that it's a trusting in you to save us and set us free, not just to, to, to believe in you, but to follow you. And right now, if my friends have never taken that step, would they pray in their own hearts and minds today, Jesus, I bow my heart and my mind. I give you my life. And would they have confidence today with that disposition of heart and mind that they can be saved and set free, adopted into the family of God and brought into the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus, for being such a good king. We're going to worship you in this space. Do something in our hearts. Lead us to action. It's in Jesus' name.